A Shared Curiosity, a podcast and community for parents and educators. Hear from pioneering educators who are taking risks and shaping the future of education. Kia ora koutou, ko kek ingoa, and welcome to A Shared Curiosity. It's a real pleasure to introduce to you Megan Gallagher. I met Meg at the beginning of this year when I became really passionate about teacher well-being. I was working with a teacher's a parenting coach at that time and we were looking at how we can get teachers involved in looking at their well-being and self-care. Anyway, we were talking to Meg and we tracked her down because she'd written this thesis all about teacher well-being. We were like, great. And we tracked her down and she just blew me away. She, you know, I really fell in love with her. She... She was one of those inspiring people who had like about 15 million things on the go. She was teaching, she was performing a play, she was starting a book club, she was doing um, presentations about brain neuroscience, she was um, starting up Facebook groups to try and inspire teachers, and yet she was still working in a classroom. And I just thought, wow how are you doing this and not only was she still working in a classroom but the way that she talked about teaching and the way that she talked about her kids is she was glowing she was shining she loved teaching and I think that's that's her gift is that she just passes that on it's like she's just spreading her magic out of 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 representing positive teachers who you know they really get a kick and they find the joy in teaching so I feel like this conversation it goes a lot of places it goes all through her journey it weaves in and out and there's a real gentle flow to the conversation she talks at the end about some cool things that she's got going on and I'll put some links in the show notes if you're wanting to join her Facebook groups or her book club she's got she's presenting at a conference in 2020 in um, New Plymouth and Christchurch it's called Teachers Matters and it's all about social and emotional coaching which if you're a teacher out there and you are doing learning through play or play-based learning it would be incredible just a quick heads up um, Meg and I get straight into talking about things that are on our radar at the moment and I'm like hugely obsessed with a woman called Elizabeth Gilbert who's written a book called Big Magic which is fantastic if you haven't read it. It's all about creativity and how you get ideas and these ideas are kind of floating around in the ether and they come down if you're ready and they latch onto you and and then you create something and you send it back out there into the universe and you have really no control over it. And so we started talking about it with the podcast and Meg goes straight into talking about all these things that she's got creating at the moment. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Kakite. With the book club and the Happy Healthy Teachers page and all that sort of stuff, it's the making a space to share, to share some stuff. And then once it's out there, it, it takes on a life of its own. And you don't have to control where it goes or how far it goes or what happens to it. You just appreciate mm. the little piece that you've put in. Mm. And, you know, it's like, it's like with all teaching, you know, we plant a seed, mm. hoping it'll be a fruit. We don't know what it'll look like. We just, you know, nurture what we've got and, and let nature and the universe take care of it. Mm. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very good thing. Wow. 
So how long have you been teaching for? I have been in education for 26 years. Wow. I mean, close to 27. Yeah. It's a long time. And what got you into it? Um, I always wanted to be a teacher, actually, uh, from the time I was five. (laughs) So... I would make big books for my sister. Dad would give me old rolls of um, wallpaper and I'd make these big books and and stories in them and my poor little sister had to sit and be taught at um, (laughs) from the time she was probably about three. So I would have been eight by then, seven and eight. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know what it was about teaching really when I was a wee girl. It was just when I found out what teachers who teachers were, I thought, man, I want to be one of those those people. Mm. And considering I started off with nuns as my teachers, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was all about. Um, but yeah, so it was just something that was always there. Mm. And I didn't get accepted to teachers college when I first applied. And that was a massive, massive um, blip in my whole life plan because I didn't have a plan B. <laughs> Like I didn't, I didn't want to go to university just to do anything. I wanted to be a teacher. So I actually didn't go to university my first, you know, when I left school. Um, I worked for, I did some fruit picking and I did some extra papers. And then I worked for, um, I actually say, and that, that's, I think, what's happened with my trajectory, my career pathway or whatever you want to call it is there's been a whole lot of happy accidents that have happened along the way that have taken me places that I never thought I'd go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working for IHC, um, man, that was, that, that was an amazing experience. It really was. Um, the guys that we worked with were uh, generous, um, incredibly human, mm-hmm. uh, honest, you know, like if you were screwing up, you knew it straight away. Mm. But they were really forgiving too. So, you know, you'd screw up. You'd say, man, I'm, I'm not doing a good job here, am I? They'd laugh at you or laugh with you, um, help you, and then forgive you and then move on. You know, we didn't have... There was a whole lot of that... Um, I don't know. that uh, Negative interpersonal stuff that happens when people have got agendas... Mm-hmm. that we just didn't have. And I learned more about humanity and about people and how to work with people in those six months that I worked there initially um, before I went to T-Cole. And then I kept working through T-Cole as well. I worked at one of the houses. Um, I probably learned more from those guys there mm-hmm. than I did from any other workplace that I've had since. So one of the things I became very interested in was uh, inclusive education because a lot of the clients we worked with at IHC um, their life pathways had been uh, dictated because they had been put into special units because they had been separated from society uh, to a certain extent and for some of them I felt that there was a whole lot of potential there that hadn't been realised Um, and that made me really sad and quite angry (laughs) as you do Um, and so 
I got quite into the whole inclusive education thing. So that was my first attempt at doing some research. Um, I did the research, I just never wrote it up because I'm a bit like that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I looked at, at integration for special needs in, in, in the school that I was working in. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really neat. It was a really neat experience and it sort of opened up my eyes to the challenges. Um, and, and now I see that we have more challenges than what we had back then mm -hmm. um, around behaviour and around resourcing and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I think probably those early years have helped me with that too. And mm. to kind of say, well, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a proponent of inclusivity. So as difficult as this might be, how do we make this inclusive environment work for everybody, mm. including the people that are having problems with it right now? Um, yeah. So I suppose that's the trajectory I've been sent on. So I kind of want to go back but then I want to like I want to hear what your philosophy is now like what's so maybe if we jump forward so what's your current curiosities what, what dri what's driving you now oh um well I'm actually reading what am I reading at the moment I'm reading two books at the moment I'm reading I even brought them with me how cool is that Atomic Habits I'm a geek um by James Clear and this is uh, this is more sort of personal, but it, I think it's actually really good. Like as I'm going through, I'm thinking, how does this relate to what I do in my classroom as well, or how we do things in the classroom? So it's looking at small, small ways to change your habits to become um, to reach your potential, really, or realise your potential. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, Glenn Capelli has a little song. Uh, he's uh, he uses a word, kaizen. And it goes like this, it goes, Kaizen is a little bit, little bit, little bit. Kaizen is a little bit improving every day. And so it's about those small imperceptible changes that actually lead to something really big or a big difference in your life over time. But you do little pieces. It's not, it's not you know, okay, I'm going to change everything today and everything's going to be better. It's small changes that, that you can maintain for a long period of time. That then have the potential to make a big difference. Mm. Yeah. So um, I'm looking at that from for myself and in that whole teacher well-being sphere, but also in my own classroom practice and how I can teach that to my kids. Because you know, imagine how powerful it would be for for seven and eight year olds to learn that they can change just a little thing and it's going to make a big difference for their lives. Mm. You know, that would be really awesome, I reckon. And the other one is this book, um, Disruptive, Stubborn and Out of Control. And that's um, by Bo Hill-Skolbelfin. And so his whole uh, low arousal approach, um, and it's making a, it's, it's, it sort of fits with my teaching philosophy and it's helping me to uh, build in those strategies and just reinforcing, you know, building relationships takes a long time. Changing behavior takes a long time. Um, but it's worth it, and that's that long game. And again, it's probably coming back to those little small changes over time mm. makes a big difference. So that, that's where my curiosities lie at the moment. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I'm also wondering how you deal with a broody chicken. Because <laughs> we've got a chicken at school, and she won't get off the eggs, and she keeps hissing at the children and snapping at them when they try to get the eggs. And I don't know what to do with a broody chicken. So 
that's another curiosity that we've currently got. What a cool problem to solve. So you're yeah. currently teaching. Can you tell me a little bit about your school and who you're teaching? We're quite into play-based learning and student agency within our school. Um, at the moment, we're developing our outdoor areas. So we've planted something like 12 fruit trees uh, last term. Uh, we've got our chickens. Uh, we've got four chickens, three who are friendly and one who's not at the moment. Um, and we've got a tunnel house that we're going to be planting out this year. So that's that's a wee project for this term. And yes, yeah, it's, it's an amazing school. Like we've got the most massive grounds. We're very, very spoiled. Um, and uh, quite a, a really supportive and quite a progressive board. So they um, trust us with lots of uh, scope to be able to follow what what we believe is best practice for kids. Mm. And it's and it's that stuff, that Tony Ryan stuff, you know, that, that thinking forward, you know, we can't teach, we can't be starting to think about teaching for the 21st century because we're already two decades in. Mm. You know, it's, we, we need to teach for the kids we've got now for the uncertain future they're gonna have, mm. which we can't even predict. But hopefully what we can do is by teaching them in a really well-rounded, holistic, relationship-based, empathy-based um, approach, we're laying a really good foundation for them to go forward into the future and be at least nice people um, in the future, no matter where they go. And that's what we're hoping to do, and that kind of developing those soft skills as much as we, we still work on the reading, writing, and maths. So it's a really, really nice place to be, and I'm really, really lucky. Um, I'm teaching year three and four at the moment. Which is um, which is really kind of delightful because they're still they're still little enough to be really weird, but not so little to be super needy. Mm. Um, and you can have a bit of you can have some quite um, good jokes with them. And what's driving your practice? And you talk about the empathy and the soft skills and the social skills and the play. Is that mm. is that what's driving your class at the moment? Yeah, we um, I spend a lot of time with my kids looking at. Um, our brains and how they work and how we can use them, use what we know about our brain to learn better, to manage ourselves better. We do a lot of work around emotions and managing our emotions. You know, our emotions are fantastic servants but terrible masters. So, um, you know, how can we how can we be in charge of, of them so that they don't end up getting us into trouble or getting us doing something that we do, we wouldn't want to do if we were... Um, all on board mm -hmm. if, our, if our whole brain was on board so that kind of drives a lot of what I do um, we spend an awful lot of time on belonging we have rituals or routines in our classroom that kind of wrap around us mm -hmm. um, I spend a lot of time with my guys we sing every day um, I read to them every day we read a novel every day part of a novel every day um, and those are kind of not, yeah, they're not negotiables. Those are the things that we have every day. Everything else may all go to pot, and often it does. Um, but those are the sorts of things. Those are some of the routines that we have that help to, um, I suppose it's about bind us together as a group. 
which is, uh, you know, belongingness is really, really important for people to feel safe. And then they're more able to be able to think more clearly because they're not worried about whether, you know, something bad's going to happen to them because they're part of this group, so they've got the group with them. So that's kind of where, where I drive from, I suppose. Can you give some examples of how you do, how you work with that belonging? And um, so, uh, well, we have one routine that we have is every morning we have a morning meeting mm -hmm. and the children run it. So we'll have two class captains that get picked randomly out of, a, out of my, um, I've got icebox sticks with their names on them, like real low, low tech. <laughs> Um, out of the jar <laughs> on a on an afternoon beforehand, and then they lead it. So they share their pepeha. They um, lead the karakia for the class. We all stand and we do the karakia. Mm -hmm. um, we all sing back to them. We sing a waiata to them. Uh, then they run our morning book, which has got some things about you know what day is it, what do we think the weather's going to be like, how many kids are here today, just the basics sort of mm -hmm. um, catch up on the day stuff. And then after that, um, we do uh, some stretches together, the yoga stretches, mm -hmm. um, or we'll do cosmic yoga, depending on what, what sort of jam we're feeling for the day. Um, we'll sing a song together, we sing a waiata together, and that's about uh, when, when, when we sing together and we make a beautiful sound together, there's a really... Um, it's a real buzz to that, like it feels good. And it's a nice way, it's a really nice way of coming together and belonging. So that's our morning rituals. And then in the afternoon before we go home, we sit in a big circle and we do our triple A's, which is um, everybody gets to say something that um, they, they choose, either something that they appreciate, something they want to apologize for and put right from the day, or something that's been an aha, something new they've learned. Mm -hmm. And we go around the circle and everybody gets to share their, their one triple A. Some people like to share more than one, that's okay. Um, then we do our class captains. We, um, oh, we also have an elephant in our classroom. His name's Einstein, so Einstein needs a cure every day, so that person gets selected. And then um, we'll do our closing karakia, and then I do hug, handshake or high five or honging now mm -hmm. um, to finish the day for every child. And that's, that's about, um, for me, that's about making sure that I connect with everybody positively at least once a day. Mm. I'd like to think I do it more often than, than that, but I know I've guaranteed once a day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you've got to be realistic. Some days you're just real flat out. <laughs> All right. How are you feeling those, about your practice now? You... Um, I feel a lot better now. You know, I went through a wee phase a few years ago where I, I'd come back to teaching after being out of um, classroom teaching for about 13 years. So I was working for a health organisation and still working in schools and still working in education, but not with my own class. And so coming back to classroom teaching where national standards have just come, uh, come in and been well entrenched. Yeah. Um, I'd tactfully moved out of uh, state service education just before the numeracy project started. Mm -hmm. And so there'd been massive change. And when I came back, 
I felt that, you know, being being the good girl, that that was the stuff I needed to get on board with. So I ditched all the stuff, this relationship building stuff. I, I didn't mean to, but I inadvertently ditched that because I was desperately trying to teach to the national standards, basically, which was mental. And I knew it was mental, but it didn't stop me because I was trying to do the right or be seen to be doing the right thing. And I made a colossal, colossal screw-up of it all. Um, you know, they talk about being a slow learner. Well, I was a slow learner because the kids were giving me some really clear indications this wasn't working and I wasn't picking it up nearly fast enough. Yeah. Um, but eventually I got the message and righted that as much as I could. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been working, you know, last three or four years, I've been working more and more on building a classroom program that honours the brain and brain development, that honours that belongingness. And I think, you know, it depends. It's different every time because it depends on the students you've got because what works as belonging for me may not work for the group of people that I've got. Um, and so it's constantly shifting and changing, but I feel a lot better about who I am being as a teacher now than what I was five years ago because I was a stress mess. Um, and that wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for my kids and I know better now so when did you stop to do your thesis uh, I didn't stop I <laughs> did it during so I was, te I was teaching um, I was teaching part-time at the time though so I wasn't completely insane um, <laughs> but I was teaching full no actually I was teaching full-time when I was writing it Alrighty. Uh, yeah that's only because I procrastinated <laughs> what happened was I adopted three baby kittens that were about a week old they're little wild kittens mm -hmm. when I was supposed to be writing up when I was still teaching part-time so I still had you know two two days or two and a half days a week to write and so having triplets takes an awful lot of time out of your day <laughs> it just wasn't my fault <laughs> well that was my excuse um and then, and then there was this mad scramble at the start of the following year when it was like, this is due in March. You really need to get a bit of a scramble on these. Um, but it all worked out. It was fine in the end. And I had really good supervisors who, were, who gave me great advice and were very supportive. Um, so when did I do that? 2017, I think I wrote it. What's your name of your thesis? Oh... That's a really good question. <laughs> I can find out. I can find out because I can find it on here. I should probably know that because I'm asking you the question. No, it's, no, no, you shouldn't know that. It, it's around well-being, shall we say? Yeah, yes, it is around well-being. It's around um, teacher well-being in midlife or mid-career. Mid-career. Yeah, so um, I focused on teachers who had been teaching between 8 and 25 years. Yeah, because in a lot of the literature I'd read, they were a population that hadn't really been addressed in particular very well, I didn't think. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff had been done on new teachers, um, particularly around why did they leave. And some had been done around older teachers, you know, that towards the end of their careers. And I was really thinking, you know, if we focus in on the mid-career teachers, because these are the people we're going to want to move into leadership positions, mm. ideally. 
and the only way you're going to get them moving into leadership positions is if you keep them in education. Um, so what, and people won't stay if um, if their well-being's at risk, or eventually they won't stay. And so um, that was kind of my premise behind choosing that particular age, or not age group, but that particular years of service. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. It really was. It's good learning. Can you talk a little bit about your research? And um, yeah, so there was nothing. There's nothing really new that came out of it. To be fair, you know, um, the four, you know, like basically, you know, having having a sense of balance, no matter what that looks like or feels like to you, but having that sense of balance is is um, supportive of positive teacher well-being because what what I did was I focused on teachers who had reported having a good sense of well-being mm -hmm. through a survey um, and that that actually was the hardest almost the hardest part of doing it because to get five teachers who through the survey reported having a positive sense of well-being had the right number um, was actually really difficult. I had something like 60 respondents and I only had about 10 or 11, I think it was, who met the mark Wow. Um, that was required. Might have been 80, I can't remember. Um, so that was, that was interesting in itself. And then for the five people that I spoke to, they spoke about balance. They spoke about um, all that self-care stuff, you know, exercise, having a bath, eating chocolate came up with everybody. <laughs> Um, I even got given sort of suggestions for flavours, the best flavours. Um, but the really big key things that came out was, one, there is no silver bullet. So positive well-being doesn't look the same for anybody, really. It's, it's a personal construct. Um, but there are some, some features that you can look for. First one is people-centred leadership. It makes a massive difference for people. And all of the people I spoke to had had difficult times in their past careers and several of them were around leadership issues yeah. leaders who were disengaged or leaders who were um, not supportive and so that that people-centered leadership and this this small acts of kindness as opposed to you know the great big um, systems or schemes or you know teacher well-being programs what really really mattered for people with small act of kindness that meant something for them so for one person, it was being given the afternoon off to go and see her son um, in the local athletics. And the teacher, the principal took a class. Another woman was being given, another teacher, was being given a small um, gift basket with um, some magazines and some chocolate and uh, some flowers when she went into hospital. Um, so it was about what's important for you might not be important for me, but the leader understanding what's important for both of us and being able to deliver to that in some way, shape or form is what's appreciated and what makes a difference. Um, relationships are huge, positive supportive relationships with colleagues, with students, with whanau, um, and in your own socials and support networks. Yeah. Um, Self-efficacy, so feeling like you can do the job. So, you know, a few years ago when I thought I'd lost my mojo, my well-being was right down the floor because I felt like a crap teacher. Yeah. Um, I felt like I, I didn't, I wasn't doing a good job. And, and to be fair, I wasn't mm. at that time. 
Um, so my self-efficacy was like way down here. Um, when your self-efficacy is high, when you feel capable, mm. then it's um, easier to have a positive sense of well-being. And um, the last one was, oh, you're around a strong sense of purpose. So that's actually knowing why you teach. You know, what are you there for? What's important? Can you, can you see it? Can you feel it? Is it part of what you're doing? And so those are, those are sort of the key things that mm. came through. And, you know, like in all the research around teacher well-being, and particularly around positive teacher well-being, so I'll use the word salutogenic perspective. <laughs> I don't even know if that's how you say the word. I've only ever seen it written. And I don't get to say it very often. So I'm just going to grab the moment while I've got it. Um, but from, from the positive perspective, it's really the, the key thing is that happy, healthy teachers tend to have happier, healthier classrooms mm. where students tend to do better socially, emotionally, and academically. Mm. So if you want to help students do better in schools, then it would seem to me that a good investment would be looking at your teachers and what you can do to help them to stay better, or stay healthier mm. and happier. That's, yeah, that was kind of the upshot, really. When you say help them, like who's helping them? Is it? Is it purely management and principles, or is it the whole whānau or community? Or yeah, I think it's I think it's bigger than you know, like leadership. Like I say, leadership plays a massive role. Mm -hmm. But even if you are, if you've got the most supportive leadership, if you're in a really toxic environment, you know, you've got toxic. If if there's toxic um, stuff going on within the staff, for example, um, and you know, like I've travelled around a lot of schools. Um, and some of the unpleasant behaviours you see teachers uh, showing to other teachers at times, you know, the eye rolls, the negativity, mm. or I say bullying, um, sort of behaviours. is it's, it's not pretty and it's not good for people's health and wellbeing. Mm. And, you know, when we get stressed, we tend to get more itchy with each other. That's normal. But actually taking a step back and going, okay, so how can I build up the people around me instead of tear them down is going to make your whole staff better. It's going to make your whole um, make you better, make them better, make the experience for your children better, make your school better. Um, I also think it's about Fano, um, about your communities getting in behind teachers. Mm. You know, it's so easy to cut teachers down, it's so easy to blame them for all the ills of society or for why. Johnny or Mary can't read or, or find it hard to do maths or gets grumpy when they go home. Um, but it's actually taking a step back and going, okay, so what part do we play in this? Mm. We're all in this together. So how can we make sure that our teachers are in the best position to do their best work for Johnny or Mary as opposed to cutting them down? And I know that, that paints a pretty bleak picture. Um, like I say, in our school, we're really, really blessed because we've got a fantastic community, we've got really good support, um, and we've got a great staff who are really supportive of each other. But that takes work and it takes effort. Mm. It's not something that just happens by accident. So, yeah. You know, like, you know, we know these things for the kids, and even like you were saying, you know, this whole belonging and working on relationships and... and you know, they're going towards this big unknown, and so we, we know to support support the kids. But why is it that we we don't apply that to the teachers as well? 
Yeah, I don't know. I suppose there's sometimes we, um, and if you take a leaf out of Bo's book, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about the moral and the ethical mm-hmm. lens that we have on people. Mm-hmm. And the moral lens is, you know, where you were growing up, you should be able to do it. You shouldn't need help. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ethics, ethical approach would be, how can I help you? How can I help you to be your best? And, um, you know, morals about judgments, ethicals about empathy. Yeah. And I think maybe we're, we're more inclined to be more judgy of other adults. Mm. I think also, you know, um, we've all got our own histories of education and of teachers in the past. We may have biases for t- towards teachers. You know, you hear people make jokes about lawyers and yeah. um, accountants and other professions, and maybe there's there's a a teacher bias for some people out there, which, you know, for, for whatever history they may have had, might be perfectly well-founded for where they've come from mm. or what they understand teachers to be like. Yeah, there's, there's, I think, and I think there's some misinformation that we've had from the media at times as well. Um, I think sometimes we don't do a very good job of actually promoting ourselves very well as teachers either. Mm. You know, we don't share the good news stories. Um, how often do we ring parents and tell them their children are amazing? Normally, and, and, and I understand why we don't do it, because it's like, bloody hell, another thing to add to my to-do list. <laughs> when will I do this? Um, but if we did that, just imagine what sort of conversations we'd be having with the parents when we ring them and we've got a problem mm. that we need to solve with them. Because then we've got a relationship with them that's not based on Oh God, what's he done this time, or what's she done this time? Mm-hmm. So there's there's some of that I think that we need to wear ourselves as well as teachers. Um, and if we only ever talk about the negativity and we only ever say how hard our job is, then we are draining to other people around us as well. And yeah, our job is hard, but there's heaps that's really good about it too. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to offer that balanced perspective to people so that they can see that you know. When we talk about the hardships, we're talking about them because we care, not because we're moaning and looking for sympathy. I think what I love about your thesis and kind of just the way you talk, there's a real positivity in what you say. Is that like, has your, that like the Facebook group that you started, the Happy Healthy Teachers, is that kind of your platform for? advocating for teachers in a, in a positive way yeah so um it kind of came from uh and some other teacher forums i found that um and and you know we were going through uh union negotiations at the time people were stressed there was lots of media saying how hard teaching was mm. we were trying to get a point across um and there was just a whole lot of tension and a whole lot of negativity. And I found that what was happening was I was actually starting to take it on board. Mm. And I was starting, you know, like I'd go on to look for resources or to see what was happening. And I'd, I'd end up feeling drained. And I couldn't work out why that was happening to me for a little while, like I say, slow learner. And then it occurred to me that, you know, like it's, it's like what you feed your body in terms of food, if you feed your if you feed your body with food that's negative, mm. um, 
you feel sluggish and awful and low energy. If you feed your mind with stuff that's negative, you feel sluggish and low energy. And that was what was happening. I flick through Facebook and I'd come off and I'd feel depressed and go, oh God, now I'm going to have to go and do my planning and it's so hard. <laughs> it's like, actually, it's not that hard. Um, but I, it, it felt really hard because I'd been reading all this stuff mm-hmm. and taking it on board. And so um, I'd sort of been sitting on this for a little while and I was talking to Karen about it from Spectrum Education one day. And I said, I think I might start a page. And she said, oh my goodness, I was thinking the same thing. And I said, well, you know, can we do it together? And um, it's been really, it's been lovely. Like it's a page I like to go to. Um, It's a page I like to contribute to. And, you know, not that everybody contributes masses and it doesn't have to be. It's all about your own choice and what you want to give or what you want to write. And sometimes it's just about, look, here's something to think about. But it is, um, yeah, it's, there's been no negativity there. It's, it is about that positive stuff, about building each other up, about celebrating the little wins mm. along the way. Um, and, you know, um, they say, what is it, the saying, uh, by lifting everybody up, we all rise higher, something like that. Mm. I can't remember what the saying is. But that's what it sort of feels like, is it's about lifting each other up. And so yeah, I've been I've been stoked. Like we've got eight hundred and forty something members. Awesome. Um, which is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's a nice place to be. And how's the book club? Because you're in the book club as well. How's that working for you? Where does that come from? Uh, because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and I was missing having friends to read stuff with. <laughs> so I'd it, it started off, I've, I've actually sat on it for nearly a year because mm-hmm. um, I was too nervous to stick my head up above the parapet, really. Um, and so I'd been, like, when, when I was doing my varsity stuff, I, was, I did it all online. So we had these conversations online. We were reading the same material and then we were unpacking it. And I got heaps and heaps out of that. And I do read a lot. Um, and so, and, and we, most of my colleagues, we, we all read different stuff. But the problem was that we were reading different stuff. So you'd come through and you'd say, oh, well, this is what I got from here. And they go, oh, yeah, cool. Um, that's a good idea. But you don't get any um, deep feedback about that particular text because I'm only getting my perspective, not anybody else's. Yeah. And so um, I decided that I needed to have, have other people who were reading the same thing as me. And the only thing, the only way that was going to happen for me was if I if I actually set something up to make that happen, mm. which is where the book club came from. And um, I didn't know if it would work; it was a risk. But it's been, I love it. I really do. You know, I might be feeling a wee bit weary on a Wednesday night sometimes, going, "Oh, I'd really like to have an early night or just sit and watch telly <laughs> or just chill out," you know. But then we get started and even if there's only two or three of us having a chat, mm-hmm. there's always something new I get from the books, from that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I've read the books before we, before we do book clubs. So I've already read them. That's why I offer them for book club. Mm-hmm. And then I read, I only read a chapter ahead. So 
um, we'll do our book club chat on the Wednesday night. Then I'll read the next chapter. I write the the reading guide up and for the weekend, so that um, it's fresh. Yeah. And it also sometimes will build on or reflect on what we've talked about in the conversations. And yeah, it's uh, um, I've just got so much more out of the reading and also having to read slowly. Like honestly, the first book, it did my head in for the first few <laughs> chapters. I'm like, come on, guys. I even put a poll up and asked if people wanted to read two chapters instead of one a week. You know, come on. And nobody did. I was so gutted. Um, but it was actually really good because it meant that I had to read slowly and deeply instead of flicking through and grabbing the um, sound bites that worked for me. So I've loved it. And... Um, yeah, hoping that we can keep it going for next year would be really good. The plan is to keep it going next year. It's such a simple concept. So that's what blows me away is the simplicity of it. It's like, you know, you're not talking, you're writing, so you have time. I love that you have time to process your ideas and share them and then you can read someone's response and you don't have to respond straight away. You can think and then type and, yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. Yeah. And, and you're right, it's really simple. Mm. I think sometimes maybe we overcomplicate things. I know that probably in my thinking about all the things that could go wrong, I'd overcomplicated it. Because mm. really the only thing that could go wrong is that nobody turns up and I still read my book. You know, <laughs> like basically that's, that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. So it's, you know, like there's a, there's a no loss sort of component to that. Can you talk a little bit about you putting yourself out there? I know you like with the book club but like I don't know there's a number of things if I think you've got the book club you've got your Facebook page you've got two Facebook pages you also perform plays um the teacher well-being advocacy like can you talk a bit about that or how that came up for you and I think um well if we go back like when I started talking earlier when I was talking about that career pathway and that opportunities came up that I hadn't anticipated. So, you know, when I um, when I first moved out of teaching, I was working with an amazing um, leader, Greg Mercer. I don't know if you know him or anybody up there in La La Land knows him, but um, he, he was just incredible. And he opened up possibilities for me that I didn't know were there. Uh, he, he's the one, he's responsible for me doing my master's, he's responsible for me doing professional reading because I thought that was a bit of a faff, um, to be honest, as a younger teacher. I'm like, why do I need to do that? I've got my degree. Oh, I didn't have my degree, I had my diploma, you know, I've already done that but And so he fed that part of me that I possibly wouldn't have done on my own to that extent. And he also pushed me into leadership which is something that I had made very clear wasn't part of my part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd successfully avoided leadership positions uh, through much of my teaching career up to that point. Uh, and so he he very cleverly got me into doing things that I, I didn't know I could do. And within that, I ended up doing lots of speaking. Mm-hmm. And again, that wasn't something, in fact, 
previously when I'd been doing speaking, I remember I had to do a presentation to six parents, all of whom I knew, two of them I played football with, you know, like I knew really, really well. And I had to present about six units, which was something I did nearly every week. Yeah. And I made a colossal cock up of it. It was just terrible. I was so nervous I could just about throw it up. And like I did lots of theatre and that was okay because I was somebody else on stage. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But I had this whole thing that, um, and, and it's something that you carry with you, but that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I to be standing here talking to anybody about anything? Why would anybody listen to me? That sort of stuff I had running through. And what Greg did and what, what the work that I was doing with Greg did was keep putting me into positions where I actually had to step up into that place, regardless of all of those fears, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm going that big magic stuff, you know, fear could come with me, just got to stand back there because mm-hmm. I've got work to do. And um, then I found I quite liked it. And so when, when I left the organisation a number of years later, I'd met Karen um, uh, from Spectrum Education mm-hmm. through, um, actually through my infant son. She took him away at a conference once. <laughs> she did bring him back eventually. <laughs> and, and, we, and we became really good friends. And then she rang me when I'd finished working uh, for the organisation and said, I'd like you to MC my conference. Wow. And I went, no. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I would. Would you consider it? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And she's like, oh, I think you could do it. Okay. So I ended up MCing these conferences with her. And that was like this whole next new world opened up. And so I really enjoy that now. And I, and I love, you know, I still feel nervous and sick about it. Um, and I still have that whole imposter syndrome thing going on. But I also love being able to share this stuff because I've come to realise that um, people don't come and, you know, when you're speaking about something that you're passionate about, people aren't coming to hear you fail. They're coming because they genuinely, genuinely want you to be successful so they can get the information from you that they can then use. And that it's actually not my responsibility to make other people who are, are, are there happy, it's my, my responsibility to make sure I do the best job I can with what I've got at the moment. And it's, and it's the audience's responsibility what they choose to take on or not. And that's kind of given me a wee bit of freedom with that. And I've also um, uh, been given permission by Glenn Capelli to share his work around the magic brain, uh, which is something that I'm really, really, uh, I think every teacher should probably know about there's lots of different models that different people can use um I, I quite like the magic brain i use it every day in my classroom i use it in my own own life and so yeah so i feel passionate about it so i want to share it with people i, I i'm curious to know how um forgotten his name the first mentor how he got you to take these risks like you said it was in a very clever way is there a, a, like a quick brief example yeah, he broke his leg, and he couldn't tr- he couldn't fly, and he had appraisals to do, and he'd asked me earlier to do if I would do some appraisals. I went, nope, I don't do appraisals. I no way, that's not my job. Um, and then because he had the broken leg, he couldn't fly, and he desperately needed them done. And could you just do one or two? And I'm like, 
yes, but I don't like the form. Change the form, do, do it whichever way you want. Um, if you could just do one or two. So I changed the form, changed the format, did them. It wasn't hideous. He went, booyah, that's awesome, and gave me half to do the following year when his leg was all better. And so... What do you think the key is there? Is it having a mentor or having that, is it, is it go back to the belonging? Like having, feeling like there's people there to catch you and you feeling safe? I think it's probably a little bit of both of that. Um, I, th I think it's actually having somebody who you trust believe in you. Mm. And I think that's that leadership thing too. You know, um, I, th I think Greg knew me and possibly knew parts of me that I didn't know or was hiding or was frightened of or whatever. You know, you can get all emotional about it. But I think... He could, he could see past some of the stuff that I couldn't see past. And with that recognition, then he he just waited for the moment, <laughs> really, to make it happen. And I think he probably had a plan in place that that was going to happen anyway. It was just the broken leg was a perfect, perfect um, opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it's almost that like you're describing yourself as a teacher as well. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think that is that thing, you know, you, because as a teacher, you know your kids. Mm. You can see when um, when there's something more in them that they could do or, um, you know, when you're in tune, mm. you can see those opportunities and the, that you can capture mm. for them to just reach a little bit higher or um, go a little bit wider. And it's just finding those levers to be able to help them to, to see it themselves. I actually have a mirror in my classroom that one of my children sits and spends hours looking at himself in. Wow. Lately. Um, and, yeah, and I've got a wee saying written on it. I think it's something like, um, who am I being or something like that. But he looks in there and has conversations with himself. And maybe that's our job as teachers is to, you know, help people to see themselves. Mm. Um, so quickly to finish up. Sorry. No, it feels so lovely. I feel like <laughs> there's something like there's there's words that keep popping up in my head, like belonging, advocacy, and empowerment. Like that's how I I I think it's kind of come up quite strongly in what you've talked about across all your areas. Um, but is there a quote or something that you'd like to finish on or a song? <laughs> oh, I won't put you through my singing again. <laughs> I do have a quote, though. I have this one, and it's, uh, it's not too long. It is a wee bit longer than, than normal. Um, but it's by, um, I think his name is Haim Gnot, or Gnot. I don't know how to say his last name. But he's um, it's a very, very famous one. You'll know it. And it's one that um, is like my compass. And so when I'm off track, I think of this and I feel bad about myself and I sort myself out, really. And it goes like this. I, I've come to a frightening conclusion that I am the decisive element in the classroom. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes the weather. As a teacher, I possess a tremendous power to make a, life, a child's life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or heal. 
In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child humanized or dehumanized. And that one is, um, yeah, a really good compass to have, I think. And it's the weather thing that fits for, that I have in my head all the time is, you know, what's the mood, what's the weather in here? How can I change it? Yeah. Is there any plugs that you want to do for upcoming talks of Spectrum or? Um... Oh, there is. Um, Spectrum Education are doing um, Teachers Matters conferences in Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, New, Pym New Plymouth and Christchurch from the 16th through to the 24th of January, start of next year. And the focus is on social emotional learning. Uh, so there's going to be people talking for things you can do in your classroom for your kids and stuff we can do for us as teachers um, within schools and, and just in our general lives. So it's going to be a really good conference. Teachers Matters conferences always are. Um, really good way to start the year. So that's uh, coming up awesome. real soon, actually. I was just talking to somebody else the other day saying, hey, I think there needs to be more coaching on social and emotional skills for teachers. Like, <laughs> does that exist? <laughs> Come, <on. laughs> Come to our conferences and we'll, we'll get you started anyway. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing no the work that you do and I hope you spread your magic far. <laughs>